Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 338. I just wrapped up a four-night cruise on Royal Caribbean's Brilliance of the Seas, and this week, I'm reviewing my time on board with a friend who's never sailed on Brilliance or a ship of that size with Royal Caribbean. We'll talk about what makes Brilliance different and what we liked on board. Here we go. You know, these days, when it comes to Royal Caribbean cruise ships, a lot of attention goes to the newest and largest ships out there. But Royal Caribbean has quite a fleet of ships, and size isn't everything, or so they say. And that also applies to cruise ships, because Royal Caribbean's Radiance class is among, I think, one of the best ships out there. And I have come to appreciate one in particular, uh, Brilliance of the Seas. I've been on her now four times, having just completed a four-night Western Caribbean cruise. And not only did I get to cruise on Brilliance of the Seas for my fourth time, but I got to bring a friend of mine to try out not only the ship, but this class of ships for their first time. And a self-admitted small ship lover, it is Billy Hirsch from CruiseHabit.com. Billy, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Always exciting to be here, especially when I don't have to go back and review last year's uh, end of year podcast just to prepare. So this is good. I get to be on. We get to talk ship and I didn't even have to do homework. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the uh, first of all, Billy's referring to the episode we did a couple weeks ago that we annually do about uh, making yearly wishes here. Uh, but it is nice to have you on here to talk about what I think is one of your favorite topics in the whole wide world because I've known you for such a long time. And that is cruising on a small ship. Yeah, it's it's funny to I've come around to agreeing with you when you when you refer now to brilliance uh, in this case as a small ship because uh, it's still in my mind a pretty big ship. But but yes, everything being relative in 2020 brilliance is a small ship and, and I I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, so, of course, Brilliance is a Radiance-class ship. And a Radiance-class ship, you're talking about passenger count, uh, certainly below 3,000 passengers. I believe it's in the mid-2000s, if I'm not mistaken. Again, it depends if you do max occupancy or regular occupancy, blah, blah, blah. Um, but there is no rail promenade. There is the Centrum instead. It does not have a flow rider. It doesn't have what well, has a water slide for kitties, but not a water slide in the sense that we see on currently on all new ships, right? The Radiance-class is a classic class of cruise ships out there. Um, we're talking about Brilliance, Jewel, Radiance, obviously, and Serenade of the Seas. And, you know, Brilliance is something, you know, Billy, I came to cruising uh, in Royal Caribbean. I was always cruising on their largest ships. You know, I started off on Explorer of the Seas. I did Mariner. I did Oasis. I've done, we've been, you and I have been on some other of their larger ships as well. So Radiance class ships, Brilliance of the Seas. I remember when I first went on Brilliance of the Seas, it was a bit of a, a an adjustment, but I've really come to love this ship because it is a small ship, still packs a lot to do, see, and most importantly, eat on board the ship. And I feel like it's just, to me, it, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like going home to your parents' house um, <laughs> for like a weekend where you go back and it's like something feels like home. It's just like, it's nice to kind of relax and take it easy, kick your feet up on the couch and kind of just, uh, it, it's more relaxing in that way. And I kind of feel it, that that sort of applies here with Brilliance. And obviously, you've cruised a lot more on this size of ships and even smaller to that effect. So let's start off with what did you think of Brilliance of the Seas now that you what you knew beforehand, what you've now experienced? What's kind of your take on uh, this particular uh, ship and its class? 
Well, um, first, let me say I, I agree with your statement of like feels like uh, going home. Like there's something very comfortable about this type of ship. And, and as we discuss this, we'll get into the reasons that I, I and, and, and you feel that way. Uh, it was nice that the difference between going home and going on this ship was no one asked me to like fix any electrical or plumbing when I first arrived. <laughs> so I found that to be a massive improvement on your uh, on your your analogy. Um, you know, if uh at risk of burying the lead, I loved this ship. Um, as you said, there's there's something comfortable about it. The layout, knowing that you're going to go on a cruise where you have all the stuff that you you want, uh, that I want at least. You know that I've got multiple options for entertainment, for dining, for for hanging out outside. Um, but I don't have a um, oh no, I forgot something in my room, and I have to walk 12 minutes that's back uh, and get my steps in on an Oasis class or, or anything like that. Nor do I have um, like, you know, the Empress of the Seas type of experience, which is, uh, I think, to give you an idea, about 49,000 gross tons compared to uh, uh, Brilliance's 90. Uh, nor do I have such a small ship that I feel like I've limited options. So it's a really sweet spot. And I think that um, that probably in, is a way of summarizing a lot of things that I felt about this ship. Yeah, I think the, la- the the thing you pointed out, that there's not a lack of options, is what makes Brilliant stand out. The Radiance class underwent a number of upgrades um, around the 2010s, if I'm not mistaken. I remember Radiance of the Seas in 2011, I believe, was the first to get it. And I remember reading about some of the things they were doing. Basically, this was in the wake of the, huh, pun intended, the uh, Oasis class debuting. They Oasisized a lot of different other ships in the fleet, namely adding... Uh, especially restaurants to them, some other options and things to do on board. And on Brilliance, they added a couple specialty restaurants. There are three on there now. You've got Chop's Grill, Giovanni's Table, Izumi, and you also have um, uh, Chef's Table. Uh, in addition to that, they also um, uh, changed over the, the – they had a sports bar weird thing that they did with the Radiance class. They put in a more traditional English pub, which is uh, which is a big hit there. So I think that a lot of those little things here and there, the the, the pool by the movie screen or the the movie by the pool, um, uh, you know, those kind of upgrades, which now you know we're, we're almost ten years since they've been added, but it really still serves a lot to make this ship. It, it's a small smaller ship, but still has like almost a big ship feel in the sense that you're not compromising in the onboard experience. And in fact, I think the way that they did it was remarkable because the use of space, um, I know cars are very polarizing, made me think of a Honda. I've always looked at Hondas as using space really wisely. And that's the way I felt about Brilliance because, um, yeah, I mentioned Empress of the Seas before. I really like Empress of the Seas, by the way. Uh, There's a rock wall on Empress of the Seas that looks like they took a step back, looked the ship like, where could we lean this? And it was very much an afterthought. Um, there was nothing about brilliance that, um, except maybe where next cruises, uh, that seemed like an afterthought. <laughs> it, it, it really felt like it was all, um, designed that way. And in fact, on day, I think it was maybe it was either night one or day two. I had already been on the ship for a while. I had already been walking around. I started to walk all the way uh, on one of the higher uh, decks and I was like, oh, my God, there, there's mini golf here. There's like a separate uh, sl- thing with water slides for, for kids. And there's just there's this awesome sun deck. And I kept finding more things um, that I was not prepared for. There were some things that surprised me as soon as I started researching the ship, which in my tradition means after I had already booked it and passed final payment. 
Um, but you know, when I, I went online and I started, I'm like, oh, okay, there, there's more specialty dining options than I thought. Oh, they have, in addition to the, the theater, they've got a, a big aft lounge. Okay. That's neat. But then some things that I didn't even find until on board. Um, but again, none of it felt shoehorned and, and that's, it, it, that's important when it felt like the ship organically had so much to offer, um, while still being, uh, in a space that when uh, when Larissa lost her uh, room key, she'd go right back to guest services and retrieve. Yeah, it's 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 a really fun class of ships, and it's the kind of class that I think once you've been there, done that a little bit with other Royal Caribbean ships. If you've done the Oasis class, you've done the Quantum class, you've done the Freedom class. Uh, you know, a lot of times I get an email uh, from somebody who's listening to this podcast saying, "Matt, you know, I've done I've done a couple of ships now. What should my next one be?" And if you check two or three of those boxes off that I just mentioned, I always point people to the Radiance class because I love the layout of the ship. I love the views, by the way, because there's glass everywhere. I think if you're yeah. used to the bigger ships, you're going to quickly notice, wow, you can see the ocean everywhere from on board, which is a nice uh, add-on, a nice little uh, perk of being on the Radiance class. The elevators are really beautifully done. Um, I, I think that they it, – it, it's – it's very familiar to a Royal Caribbean cruiser, but it's it's different in its own way. And um, it, it's reason why, honestly, when I booked this cruise, Billy, I immediately reached out to you. Uh, I To be fair, I usually reach out to be like, hey, here's an excuse to go on a cruise. <laughs> but, um, but at the same time, I knew this would be right up your alley because this class of the size of ships, I should say, is really, I think, in line with what I know that you've historically liked. And it's it's a little it's more of a I think a, I don't want to call it a throwback because I don't think they intended it to be this way. But in today's world, in 2020, it does almost feel like a throwback to the past generation pre Oasis class cruising. Yeah, a, a way that I think that can be somewhat defined is um, maybe maybe the really obvious thing in the context of Royal Caribbean would be Royal Promenades, right? But uh, even beyond that, the idea that one, you can see the water from everywhere. Two, there are not um, – you don't have entire sections of the ship that take up just one side or the other. Uh, and you could say, well, what about like Schooner Bar, for example, is on the – I forget now what the layout. I, I want to say on the starboard side and then the, uh, Giovanni's and Chops are on the port side in that same area. And, and yeah, that's true. But the, the, those are those are relatively small, narrow areas, not like we're in, in a giant room and you go, oh my god, I forgot there's another part of the ship over there. So there's um, that layout along with the the glass elevators and when i say glass elevators i mean that face there are some that face the centrum like the atrium of sorts as well as some that face the water uh just qualities like that the the big aft lounge i love aft lounges on a ship huge sucker for aft lounges um the colony club i wish they'd use it for more stuff Th those type of features are the things that when i think of a more classically designed cruise ship quote unquote that's what i'm thinking of and and it, for me personally that's appealing everyone of course is different to your point though you said, you know, after you've done a couple of the um, Oasis class or maybe Freedom class, perhaps Quantum, whatever the case may be, class ships, and, you, and you're just looking for something different, this definitely is it. Now, Royal Caribbean, you and I have talked about it on podcast episodes before. They've got this challenge that everyone looks at the the crazy, flashy new stuff on the Oasis class, on Quantum class, um, uh, Freedom, and, and, and in fact, you know, over on uh, Mar Mariner Navigator now, and, and to a degree um, – 
independence uh, where they they went back and did some stuff. But there's still a, a it's still a materially different experience, right, than uh, parts of what you see on the commercials. And yet I think you get um, that different feel. So you really feel like you're on a different ship. Whereas for me, like when I went uh, Navigator to Freedom, I went, OK, yeah, one's bigger. I get it. <laughs> and and I loved both of them. But it didn't feel as different. Whereas this feels really different and, and yet uh, doesn't cut out so much that, you know, if you're going on a Fortnite with kids or something uh, that everyone's going to feel bored that I don't think that's much of an issue at all with this ship. Absolutely. So um, since this is my fourth time on Brilliance, and I think I've done three different podcast episodes about Brilliance on the same itinerary, uh, I'm going to make this more about you, Billy. Also, it makes, means that you have to talk more than I do. So I'm going to allow uh, – I'm going I'm to focus on your perspective here and kind of jump around with some of the things that you got to experience uh, for the first time or – Sort of for the first time, as, as you'll kind of discover. Uh, how about this time? I, this wasn't your first time cruising out of Tampa, but how was it cruising out of Tampa this time? I don't think you sailed out of this particular terminal, which is Terminal 3 in Tampa before. So uh, previously, I'd sailed on Empress out of Tampa, and actually, it was the same terminal. Um, I, I just I remember the check-in process very specifically, but it seemed to have gone quite a bit smoother this time. Um, embarkation the first time was not bad, a little weird cause it was one of the first crews to Cuba and they were still figuring some things out there. Um, this embarkation was uh, rough the last time, but this time was a lot smoother. Um, and in terms of Tampa itself, I find Tampa to be, it's not a place that I go frequently. I mean, I live in Florida, it's about a four hour drive. Uh, I find it to be a convenient city just because it has, Tampa has everything you need in a big city, but it's not a very big city. So if you stay in a Tampa hotel, you find a great rate with your favorite hotel chain uh, before the cruise, for example, in a Tampa hotel. Um, if it's actually in Tampa and not just like some city that's near Tampa that you if you lived in Tampa and you met somebody in Dubai, you say, yeah, I'm from Tampa, which would be weird already. Um, <laughs> then uh, it's probably going to be close. Right. Uh, and the sail away is beautiful. The sail in is probably lovely if you're up at three in the morning. Uh, so, so cruising in and out of Tampa overall, it was a good experience for us. The, the cruise, the port there is laid out kind of along the shore, kind of at a much smaller scale reminds me of San Francisco. So you pull up like into a cul-de-sac where that terminal is, this is terminal three and it's so small. You go up like, like uh, you go up an escalator and, and you're in the building there, there's security. Very, uh, very quick, easy. I like that element of it uh, quite a bit. How about uh, something we both did for the first time, which was the uh, unlimited dining package. I had done the ultimate dining package a couple of years ago, but Royal Caribbean has rebranded and slightly altered that. So in this one, uh, the unlimited dining package, we, as it sounds like, we were able to eat uh, lunch and dinner uh, as many times as we so choose uh, or chose uh, in on board the ship, especially restaurants. And uh, we certainly took advantage of it. I think we only missed one meal. Um, for that, um, on the last day, we ended up eating lunch in the Windjamer instead. But uh, what did you think of the unlimited dining package in terms of uh, did it match what you expected it to be? Uh, was it a lot of food, too much food, not enough food, uh, good value? What, what's your take now on the unlimited dining package? So I previously would have thought that it would was too much. And, and I didn't feel that way. Um, part of that is because I don't know how much of it is in the past. I get a special dining. I'm like, well, I'm paying good money for this. I'm going to eat everything I can. And then I feel like absolute garbage afterward. <laughs> that is completely my fault. Uh, I, I didn't really do that. I think there was one time that I left that I thought, 
uh, I've made poor decisions, but it wasn't terrible. I managed to survive. Um, so it, it worked out pretty well, I think. Now, um, this is also because I'm not someone that needs to go to the main dining room. Um, there, there are several reasons for that. I mean, one, I, I just, I'm not into to formality. So formal ed is not a thing that I care much about. Uh, I've done, I'm very lucky. I've done a lot of cruises. I just, the main dining room experience, it's there, it's fine, but it's not something that I need. And, and frankly, especially the last night with the twirling of the napkins and the noise and the whatnot, I, I just want to have my meal. Um, so, so the, the unlimited dining package, this was, I think the, the, the perfect cruise to, to do that on, because I do wonder if, uh, on let's say an Oasis class ship, even though there are even more options for dining, if at some point I would have been going, okay, you know what? I just, I want more quick and easy. Cause I, I, I like the Windjammer on Royal Caribbean cruise quite a bit. So I wonder if I would have gone, uh, you know what? I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to skip it today or maybe gone to the main dining room to, to hang out with other people or, you know, cause I can only put up with you for five nights max and this is a four night sailing. So it worked out. Um, I think for this sailing, it worked out really well for me. I didn't have to think about, you know, paying for stuff, which was nice always. Uh, the it didn't feel like an overwhelming amount of money. I, I want to say, what was it? If you if you booked beforehand, it was like ninety five dollars. If you did it after, it was one hundred and twenty five or something like that, which seemed per person, which seemed like uh, a reasonable add on for a four night cruise. And I'm I'm glad I did it. It also allowed me. Uh, the other thing was to be even more comfortable trying different stuff. So I've been to all of the restaurants that we went to multiple times, but this time I was like, well, I know I'm going to, if there's something that's my favorite that I really like that I usually go to, I don't need to do it this time because we're going to be back in Izumi. We're going to be back in Giovanni's. We're going to be back in Chops and I can kind of work my way down the list, uh, you know, down the menu. That was really nice as well. So I would do the ultimate or the unlimited, um, dining again. Um, I might do it on a longer sailing, but I think on a sailing like this, four nights with a ship that has at least as many specialty venues as brilliance. Um, I suspect that I would do it every time. Yeah. The value of it is something you always have to remember. Billy and I joked before the cruise at night, we bought it for $95 and $95. We could eat $95 worth of sushi quite easily without having to really put any effort into it. So the fact that you could add on to that Giovanni's and chops grill, I mean, it's just like, it's almost a no brainer, let alone like that. I keep going back and forth in my mind, waffling between like, well, on the one hand, it's $95 for four nights, including lunches. So that's three lunches, embarkation day, two sea days, and then three or sorry, four dinners. That's like, I mean, it's pretty hard not to break even, even if all you do is went there and ate salad and ordered, you know, like one entree. I mean, it's just, it's so ridiculously low a proposition that um, I, I don't know how you can't see the value in that. But of course, on the other side of it is it is a lot of food. And certainly when we, on the last day, as I mentioned earlier, we missed lunch because I thought Izumi was open for lunch. It wasn't open for lunch and Chops was open for lunch. And I just said, no, I just want to eat in the Windjammer. I just want something like he's, I love the Windjammer. I like having just, it's just something, I, I like that aspect of it. So uh, obviously if you want to work in a lot, especially if you're someone who's not done specially before, it's a great thing to do. I wouldn't characterize it as a must do, but at 95, I think the price is what really swayed us more than if I had come to you and said, Hey, the, the unlimited dining is 125 and you know, it, I think we might have balked at that a little bit more. One thing I also wanted to add was that on the last day, we went to Izumi for uh, just some sashimi as almost a pre-dinner appetizer at 530. 
and then went to Giovanni's at 7.30 for our main meal. And the more, if we could have done that a little bit more, I think that would have really proved the value of it because the unlimited dining packages allow you to meet, to eat at multiple restaurants in the same uh, day, which obviously sounds very gluttonous, but in a, in a scenario like I just provided there, that's kind of like where you're like, oh, I can see why you might want to actually do that. Right. I mean, in our case, we just went for some sashimi, which is, I mean, should be light, though I think we ended up ordering a lot of sashimi. Um, yeah. <laughs> but whether it's for one of those snacks um, or a full meal, you don't have to eat everything. Um, and again, for me personally, there may, it's hard to say there may have been an element that kept me from overeating because I wasn't paying for each and every meal individually. So, so that's nice. So go and see, is there stuff that I'm interested in and not, um, am I going to get, you know, whatever a given meal might have been, you know, $35 out of this meal. I, I think that that makes it, um, a bit different too. I, I should add one more thing to that sort of equation. Our sailing was four nights with one, uh, port of call. It may have been a little bit different of an equation if it was, let's say, a three-night sailing with two ports of call or, you know, if the ratio was a little bit different there. But in this case, we had, uh, proportionate to the length of the sailing, a lot of sea days, which means it makes those snacks easy. It means you're on board the ship for lunch, et cetera. Absolutely. Um, what are maybe two or three, what were your two or three favorite venues on board Brilliance of the Seas? Um, so I'm always a sucker for schooner bar. Any nautical themed bar on a ship, uh, there's something very uh, childlike in me that really likes. I know you didn't like the chairs. Um, you didn't think the chairs were very comfortable in, in this schooner. But I, I liked schooner on this ship. They have more stuff, more nautical-themed stuff in terms of uh, some models and just ropes and uh, knot boards and all sorts of things like that than on other schooners. So I, I really enjoyed that. That one um, that one was really good. I uh, Let's see. What else? The Colony Club is the aft lounge and I like I love the concept. As I said at the at the top of the show, I love the concept of aft lounges on ships and this kind of classic layout. Unfortunately, it's really underutilized. Um, so I would say that potentially, depending on how they scheduled things, that could easily become one of my favorite. But I still appreciated the space. Um, outside of that, I might I, I'd say the two others really. One, the Centrum. I just thought it was a very pretty space, and I'm skeptical every time I go on a ship that has a tall atrium centrum area that has um, effects lighting. I'm always worried it's going to look a little over the top for my for my personal tastes, look a little bit 1990s Vegas or something like that, and it didn't. This was a really beautiful centrum, and the fact that the R-bar is down in the bottom of it uh, in the center so that you can sit sit in the centrum and, and enjoy a drink and hang out uh, while still getting ocean views from the windows on either side that that hit a lot that checked a lot of boxes for me and lastly i'd say the solarium which i wasn't a theme a, a fan of the theming of the solarium and that's actually the case on a couple world ships but the layout and the features of the solarium were top notch i mean you've got windows all around you've got natural light coming through above at night there's really cool effects lighting in the solarium i thought it was prettier at night in fact because of that you've got a pool a uh, lot of seating, and, and then the Solarium Bar serves espresso. That's a that's a huge win. Uh, and then opposite the Solarium Bar, you had uh, what do they call do, do they call it? Um, 
Park uh, Park G Park Cafe, Cafe or Yep Park Cafe. Sorry. Um, so the Solarium just had everything. <laughs> I, I really liked uh, like that. So those I think were probably the standout venues for me. You know, one thing I wanted I meant to talk to you this on board the ship, uh, but the uh, a comparison I've always thought is appropriate. I'm curious what you think about it. You know, we get a lot of also listeners who have cruised on Disney Cruise Line before. And I've always thought that a ship like Brilliance, a ratings-class ship, is comparable both in size and somewhat even layout to the Disney Wonder or the Disney Magic. What do you think? of it? Is that a fair um, comparison? Um, I think comparing them side by side, as you've just laid it out, I, I don't necessarily disagree. I don't think it's so similar that I would have brought that up on my own. Um, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they both do still have that, that kind of classic layout to some extent. Um, along with the, the centrum versus atrium, the, uh, the centrum on this ship is much larger, much taller at very least than the atrium on magic and wonder. Um, I, I can appreciate that comparison. There's also, because the, the overarching theme on brilliance of the seas is ships is, is the whole ship has you know a nautical theme to it which again I'm a big sucker for so because of that uh, that does harken back a little bit to the ocean liner kind of stuff on uh, Magic and Wonderside I wouldn't have made the comparison but I don't disagree with it okay that's fair yeah I think of, and again the the the, the reason this usually comes up is people who have cruised on Disney before. And then are coming to Royal Caribbean. When you're talking about ships that have Royal Promenades, there's no, there's nothing on Disney that kind of compares very well to that, like in terms of experience. Um, but I've always felt that the Radiance class is probably the closest thing you could get to a, to a, in terms of flow, really, and maybe even some, somewhat design, the uh, Disney Wonder, the Disney Magic. But I was just curious because you have um, obviously cruised on those cruise ships as well, so it's uh, good to hear your perspective on that one. Uh, on this cruise, you stayed in a. Uh, balcony room. You had an interesting layout to your room because you were on the very end. Um, but was there, I mean, I, I'm assuming it's pretty much a pretty standard balcony type uh, room experience otherwise. Yeah. Um, the, the room itself uh, was on the inside of normal out. You walked in, you had like a hall of swords closet on one side, bathroom on the other. And then the uh, the bed, because it was a balcony room, you know, doesn't butt up against the exterior wall, but is kind of lateral, if you will. And uh, unremarkable, uh, the, the room itself, outside of the really interesting balcony layout, uh, I booked a guarantee balcony. I I book a lot of guarantees because I just don't have a strong preference for where my stateroom is. Um, I'm just I'm picky about many, many things, as Matt will tell you. But <laughs> stateroom location isn't usually one of them. So if I can save like, you know, whether it's twenty five or, you know, three hundred dollars, I get a guarantee every time. And we got assigned the very last room all the way aft uh, before on deck eight before the rooms before the before they become aft balconies, if you will, right? So the last balcony facing the side. And while it doesn't appear different on deck plans that I noticed at least, it means that when you did go out onto the balcony, the balcony had a, an unusual shape. It got a lot deeper on the right half of it. And then there was almost, it's not a hallway, enough space that extended where a, uh, a lounger 
fit comfortably in this extra little balcony space. I would not describe the balconies obstructed because you, ha- if anything, you had more views than you would on a standard veranda. However, because of that little extra part, because it was partially covered, um, you know, it, it's not that it was a standard veranda, but twice the size. I really liked it. It was an unusual shape that gave a lot of extra space. So at some point I sat and I, I think I was riding out there while Larissa was taking a nap and, and like that. Um, the, the, if I was going to, uh, balance that out by saying two, not, I guess negative things about the room is one, the, as you'll find on pretty much any ship of this vintage, <laughs> uh, the bathroom was back to one of those, um, cool. I can, I can get a lot done at the same time here. I'm uh, <laughs> getting a bathroom break while washing my feet and brushing my teeth. Um, but it was perfectly serviceable, uh, non-issue. Um, but just something to keep in mind. If you have only sailed on a ship from really any line that came out in the last, you know, five or 10 years, you will notice that the, the restroom was a um, little tight, but perfectly serviceable, non-issue there. Um, and then, uh, I've complained, I think, on your podcast before that I am not a fan of the Royal Caribbean beds. Um, They changed them out about three years ago, right before we went on Indy for Thanksgiving, if I recall. Um, Because I said something like, oh, yeah, one of the crew members, we just changed them. Wait, to this? You changed them to this? So uh, what I did learn, however, is if you feel that the Royal Caribbean beds are just a little too firm, and I don't mind a firm mattress, but they're just a little much for me, we asked for a mattress topper. And which I'd always intended to do and just never did. It w- made it a thousand times better, really slept comfortably after that. We also asked for smaller pillows because the pillows that were initially in the room, um, I felt like laying down on my back, my chin was nearly touching my chest. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, some people prefer that. Great. Uh, but they, the stateroom attendant, one of the, one of the better stateroom attendants we've had on, on any line really liked him. He, um, he brought us some other pillows to try these. If you want, you know, larger, smaller, just let me know. I'll find you whatever you want. So we ended up sleeping very comfortably in that room, in that room that has a very classic, not that there's nautical ephemera in the room, but a very classic feel with the kind of colors of woods that were used. They were uh, like, um, not natural, but light color woods um, with dark wood trim. And uh, I liked it. it. went with the nautical theme of the ship. So I uh, w- wouldn't mind staying in that same room again. Good stuff. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on here, Billy, talking to us about it, and uh, glad to hear that this was uh, a ship that you enjoyed. Uh, because I, the ratings class, I think you know, for all the reasons we talked about at the beginning of this episode, you know, really um, is is uh, a classic cruising experience. The best way to describe it. And I'm glad to hear that you had an awesome time on there. And uh, if you enjoy Billy's ramblings, they're good news. There are plenty more of them in written form not containing legal documents and uh, <laughs> written down somewhere. Uh, but you've also got, of course, cruisehabit.com where you can check out all of the stuff that Billy's got uh, going on. Oh, there's some great insight into the cruise industry. Billy, thank you again for joining us here. Uh, thank you for uh, having me on the podcast. Thanks for hanging out with me on the cruise. Had a great time. And in fact, uh, to put a cap on this, I enjoyed it so much. You're glad to hear. Well, I enjoyed it so much that while on Brilliance, I booked another Brilliance cruise. So I look forward to doing it again. All right, let's answer some of your listener emails. These are the emails that you've sent me to be answered right here on the podcast. And of course, uh, you can always do so by sending it to Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Our first email, and I swear this email was not picked 
out of order, this is just the way it came in, is from Mindy, who writes, I wanted to drop a quick note about your three wishes episode. I agree with Billy. They need one all-day breakfast option, maybe a Johnny Rockets. Nothing better than pancakes or omelets at any time of the day. Love the podcast. Billy is always a bonus. Well, Mindy, hope you enjoyed this week's episode. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, our next email is from Chris from Canada, who writes, Hi, Matt. Just listened, uh, just finished, rather, my seven-night Symphony of the Seas cruise, and it was amazing. I took your advice and stayed at the Intercontinental Miami the night before the cruise. The food on Symphony was very good. The lunch in the main dining room on sea days is the best-kept secret. My family also really enjoyed breakfast at El Loco Fresh. Coco Key and the Thrill Water Park exceeded our expectations, and the crispy chicken sandwich was as good as you said. Matt, the only issue we had was seating at dinner. My reservation was linked to my parents, so I believe we would all be sitting at the same table, but we were at different tables. The issue was fixed night one. Is there a way to request same table with other guests uh, when booking? Thanks for all of the work that you do. Chris, thanks for the email. What you did is what I think you're supposed to do. Uh, Make sure, obviously, I'm assuming this is what happened, Chris, but... When you link reservation, you both need a link to each other. So your reservation should have been linked to your parents' reservation and their reservation should have been linked to your reservation. So beyond that, Chris, there is nothing else in advance you can do other than maybe sending an email to Royal Caribbean in a couple of weeks before your cruise. Um, there is an email address that you can send in to request to, which is uh, rcldining at rccl.com. You send about two, three weeks prior. But that's really for like people who want to have like a table for two by themselves. Not so much can I link my reservations. The other thing you can do, or you're probably going to end up doing now for the rest of time, <laughs> is when you get on board the ship, one of the things we always do if we're concerned like you are about being at which table and all, all that when you get on board the ship the main dining room is open immediately granted there's nobody there but you can walk into the dining room and on the bottom of your seat pass card it will say okay here's the deck you're on here's the table you're at find your table and make sure that's the case in fact you'll probably already know this ahead of time when you do the check-in process and when you get to the terminal when you get your seat pass cards your parents will have on their table hey what number do you guys have and you can double triple check that but as you mentioned obviously all you have to do is go down there and be like hey want to be sitting together blah 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 um and, and you're good to go but yeah other than what you did i mean again you link the reservations both of you need to link them together i'm assuming that was the case maybe if your parents didn't have it on theirs that could have been the issue and again your travel agent can do that for you um I wouldn't even send the email, quite frankly. I would have just linked the reservations and then verified it once we got on board the ship. Next email is from Eric Chow, who writes, Hi, Matt. Thanks for answering my two previous email questions. Really appreciate your inputs and listening to your podcast. I just booked the unlimited dining package based on research and after listening to your review. My question is, we don't plan to dine every night at specialty restaurants. Since we're cruising with friends who didn't buy the unlimited dining package, we want to dine with them at the main dining room most nights. In this case, is it true that we can can at least order upcharge items at the main dining room at no extra cost because we have the unlimited dining package? If yes, this would be wonderful. Eric, I don't think that's the case. Um, if you're planning on eating in the dining room, main dining room most nights, I don't know why you would buy the unlimited dining package. It seems like a complete waste of money. I would say you only buy the unlimited dining package if you're going to eat at most, if not all, nights uh, there. For what you want to do, if you just want to work at a couple different nights, then you should buy book one of the other dining packages available, like maybe the three-night package or the four-night package, something like that. It would seem to me, based on what you're telling me here, Eric, that would be a much better idea because I think buying the unlimited dining package and then telling me that you don't plan to dine at every night at the specialty restaurants and you're going to dine with at the main dining room your friends that is most nights 
it seems like you're completely overpaying. Unless, of course, you got like you did the math and we were talking about what we did earlier in this episode where you say, well, the cost of the package is this price. Even if I eat at three restaurants, I've broken even essentially. That, that's fine. I, I don't think I can argue that point. I just want to make sure you're getting your money's worth out of this because while to Billy's point earlier, no, you don't have to go crazy and order every single item in order to break even. Um, there is still a certain assumption that you're going to at least break even if not do better than booking one of the other dining packages, which by the way, I'm sure would be cheaper than the, the unlimited dining package. That's kind of why I'm leaning there. Unless of course you're really adamant about lunches uh, on board the ship, which that's a different story as well. Uh, thanks for the email. Next email is from Matthew Hull, who writes, Hi, Matt. My wife and I are sailing on a transatlantic cruise in April 2020, going from New York to England on Anthem of the Seas. We're experienced cruisers and have been on Anthem before. I have a few questions and concerns that I hope I can lend some, you can lend some wisdom to. Number one, what do you think the outside temperature will be in mid-April on the North Atlantic? Should we pack sweaters? Should we assume the solarium will be packed solid from 6 a.m. onwards? Uh, yes, you definitely should pack some sweaters. I can't predict the weather in North Atlantic, but mid-April in New York is likely on the chilly side. Um, I wouldn't, it's, it really doesn't start warming up at least in New York City until significantly warming up. I'm saying past 50s, 60s until, you know, right around May, Memorial Day weekend-ish, that time frame. So I think you're gonna definitely need sweaters, no question. But I just part, if I were you, I would either, if you have sweaters, that's great. I, I would mostly lean towards like a fleece jacket or something like that. So like, you know, a light jacket you can bring with you, you can take it off, take it on, depending on what uh, you like. Um, in terms of the solarium, don't forget there are two indoor pools on Anthem of the Seas. There is a solarium, which is the adult indoor pool, but there is also the regular indoor pools. There's three pools total. There's the outdoor main pool, there's the solarium, and there's the indoor pool. The indoor pool will be pretty packed, but don't forget, on a ship like Anthem of the Seas, there's so much to do on board, whether it's bumper cars or uh, iFly, um, that, you know, there's other things going on that are competing for people's uh, time. Of course, obviously, if it's chilly or rainy outside, yeah, no one's gonna be on the pool deck, no one's gonna be at the floor rider, it's gonna be kind of, you know, it's a little sparse over there, this is gonna force more people there. Um, but, yes, it's gonna be busier in the solarium in the indoor pool, but I also don't wanna paint the picture that necessarily it's going to be a zoo in there, it is to your advantage that there are two indoor pools rather than one. Matthew also writes, the Anthem is a wonderful ship, but the cruise starts off with five straight cruising days. I'm a little worried we'll run out of things to do or worse, turn to the casino for entertainment. Any suggestions? You know, we do have some transatlantic cruise compasses over at royalcreamblog.com. I want to read that as an example of what to expect. I mean, look, number one, sleep in. <laughs> Take advantage of that. Uh, number two, um, there are activities that go on during the cruise. There's going to be trivia. There are demonstrations. There are scavenger hunts. Don't rely, don't overlook, I should say, uh, a lot of the other activities, which you might not do on a normal seven night cruise because you just not feel compelled to, but take this as an opportunity to attend maybe some seminars or uh, go to one of the you know, uh, scavenger hunts. Think, do something out of the box. I think there will be plenty of entertainment for you to keep you occupied. The question is, are you gonna go for it? But the nice thing about going on a ship like Anthem of the Seas, a ship that size, is you do get a lot of different options to choose from, as opposed to if you're doing it on, say, Brilliance of the Seas, far less choices to, to keep you entertained. Number three, the cruise ends at the port of Southampton, but the port before is in Le Havre, France. We intend to exit the cruise in France and train down to Paris for a week there. What preparations do we need to make with Royal Caribbean to ensure these plans are understood by everyone all as well? You will need to fill out some paperwork, my friend, in order to depart the cruise earlier than scheduled. This has to deal with um, the legality, the, your, your, your visas and getting in and out of the country, because you can't just appear in France without an entry visa. You're gonna create a giant problem for yourself trying to leave the country later on. 
Um, there is a process of doing so. I've seen this happen many, many times before. I have not done it personally, but you need to call Royal Caribbean, tell them what you want to do. There is some paperwork you need to fill out. And that way, when you do get to France, you can then legally enter the country and then be able to legally later on leave the country. So there you go. And Matthew's last question is, we're flying back to the States from Paris to on Iceland Air. Do you have any opinion on them? Unfortunately, I've not flown with Iceland Air, so I have no, I have no experience one way or the other there. Next, we have an email from Elizabeth. Who writes, hi, Matt. We'll be on Anthem of the Season, March 2020, and it's my first time purchasing the soda package. Question is, do we have to carry a soda cup around 24-7 in order to get soda, or am I reading it wrong? Good news, you're reading it wrong. The soda package, the soda cup, is meant to be used really with the, uh, with the Coca-Cola freestyle machines, and you can use them in there and get refills. You could also use the soda cup to get refills at any bar, restaurant, or lounge, but you don't need it with you. No, your CPAS card will indicate you have the soda package, and you don't you do not need the cup. You can simply go up to any bar, restaurant, or lounge. Say, hey, I have the soda package. Can I get a Coke or whatever? They'll look at your card. They'll see the indication there, and they'll give you a glass, you know, a cup or whatever of. Um, of soda and you're good to go. Sometimes it comes in the can, sometimes it'll be in a, in a cup, but either way, you do not need the cup in order to, to uh, take advantage of what your soda package offers to you. It's a good question. Next, we have an email from Brian Grantham who writes, Hi Matt, we just left Freedom of the Seas today, sailing out of San Juan. I want to give our listener, your listeners a review. We went on a Southern Caribbean itinerary, St. Martin, St. Kitts, St. Lucia, Antigua, and Barbados. We had an excellent time, but I think there's an issue the listeners need to know about. We've been sailing out of San Juan for a decade. In 2018, Royal Caribbean moved Freedom of the Seas to San Juan, the jewel and adventure had been there. We noticed in 2018 a significant increase in traffic in the port area, and it took a while to move when we arrived in the port area. Luckily, or rather, well now, Norwegian has moved the Epic to San Juan, a similar size ship to Freedom. Traffic has gone from an annoyance to a nightmare. When we got to the port, and that spilled out of the port area for half, half mile or so of bumper to bumper traffic. Luckily, we arrived early, around 10.30 a.m., but it took us about an hour from the time we got to the port area before we got out of the cab. I spoke to several people who literally got out of their cab and walked a mile or more in the late afternoon because traffic stopped moving. There are far too many cruisers in San Juan now, and the port can't handle the traffic. Leaving also took 30 to 40 minutes before our shuttle was able to move out of the parking lot due to the traffic. There's a little that can, there's little that can be done for the infrastructure-wise because the road is stuck between the water and a small airport. In short, it's a major annoyance, and I don't think we're going to be cruising out of San Juan anymore unless the big ships leave or major changes are made. Brian, thanks for the email. It's really interesting you share this with me because I had read similar stories, and when I went on Freedom of the Seas in December for New Year's Eve, and you probably heard that episode a couple weeks ago, um, we encountered absolutely nothing like you had mentioned there, which is surprising because I had read things like you had posted. In fact, I think somebody who sailed the week before us painted a similar picture, but we came in, um, I fully expected a nightmare scenario like you described, and but I decided, well, I'm bored of sitting around at the hotel. I'm just gonna go for it because if I'm gonna sit around the hotel or sit around the taxi, it's the same difference, I'm just gonna go. No traffic at all. People who were in part of our group came in, you know, for the next two to three hours, never encountered a similar situation. Then on disembarkation day, absolutely no traffic. And just like you mentioned, the Norwegian Epic was there as well. So I don't know. I really don't know how to describe it. Obviously, what you experience is not an, I don't know that it's an anomaly. I don't think it is the case. I think it can happen. I just don't know why. I don't know why you and others have experienced what you described and I experienced what I described. It's kind of odd because again, it was still Freedom and Norwegian uh, Epic, both in the same port there. It's very interesting. It is fair to at least take, if nothing else from Brian's description, you should be aware that it is a potential issue. That's by and far 
um, something to, to, to be aware of. Um, I, I'm not sure that I would personally stop cruising from San Juan because of that. I can understand why you would. I didn't go through it. And, and it's a totally different scenario when you don't go through it. I remember after I cruised out of Galveston for the first time and the only time I have not gone back there. Part of that is because it's in Texas. I don't live near Texas, but I think part of it, at least in the beginning or after shortly after my cruise in 2014 out of Galveston, I remember how bad the disembarkation process was and being pretty frustrated with that as well. So yeah, I don't, I don't know, dude. I, uh, I think again, the, I think the, the takeaway here is you just want to be able to be aware of what Brian's uh, experience was like. And our last email today is from Laura White, right? I'm going on my very first cruise. Um, <laughs> but who's counting going on Anthem of the Seas for 11 nights with 12 of my friends uh, very, very soon. We're leaving in New Jersey. And uh, here's my question. We're going to San Juan, St. Martin, Antigua, St. Lucian, St. Kitts. There are different, there are time differences between the islands and the mainland. So when we dock in San Juan, it'll be one hour ahead of New Jersey. Does the ship change time as we travel? I heard you mention ship time. And that makes me think the ship will always be on New Jersey time. Love the podcast. It has answered all my questions and made me think of the things I didn't realize I needed to. Hope this email gets to you uh, very, very soon. And before we leave, if not, maybe I'll mess up time and end up stuck in the Caribbean. <laughs> thanks for everything. Laura, thanks for the email. Um, so the answer to your question is it depends. It actually depends on the captain. The decision to change time or not change time based on local time is completely up to the captain. I have seen it done both ways. When we sailed on Freedom of the Seas out of San Juan, we San Juan is one hour ahead of Eastern time because of daylight savings time, or as a result, not, I don't know. They're an hour ahead. And um, we when we went to the other islands, Aruba, Bonaire, Curacao, St. Martin, we did not change times. I don't think they were in a different time at that particular juncture. But um, I have been on cruises to the Western Caribbean where we've changed time zones, and the, and the capital will announce it. They make it pretty darn obvious. I mean, there's a lot of notifications, um, both over the PA system, in written form, you, you know, you, I think you'd be pretty hard pressed to screw it up, quite frankly. But um, it, it, ultimately, the answer to your question is it depends on the ship's captain and whether or not they want to make the decision to make that change. And again, they'll convey it to you when you're on board the ship, but there is no way to know ahead of time exactly. My advice is make sure, I would say change your watches. No one has a watch anymore. But your phones, um, when I go on a cruise uh, these days, I almost always turn off the automatic 24-hour time zone feature. That's where the feet, where the phone will, when it's connected to the Wi-Fi or the cell signal, will ping the server and figure out what time it is. And that can really go crazy sometimes. My advice with your phone, if you're using your phone as your primary time device, which I do, is turn off the automatic time detection or adjustments or whatever, and then manually set it and make sure when you're walking off the ship, you see the correct time there. And that if you do were to connect to a local Wi-Fi connection, it won't reset itself or something to that effect. Um, if all else fails, Go on eBay and buy yourself a very, very cheap watch. <laughs> but um, yeah, the answer is you won't know ahead of time um, until you get on board the ship and the captain tells you so. Thank you, Laura, for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this week's episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. And until next time, this has been Matt, and we'll talk again real soon.